the thrill of romance is always buffeted by the baggage of the past, and sometimes the way is obscured. But perhaps that load can be lightened with the help of your friends, your family, and some choice donuts. Rediscover the path of love with margaritas and donuts, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. Today, we are interviewing Faith McQuinn, creator of Margaritas and Donuts, which we featured last week. Radio Drama Revival has interviewed Faith before, during the tenure of host David Reinstrom for her emotional drama thriller, Boom which makes this limited series a sharp left turn from the genre content boom audiences might be used to. Margaritas and Donuts is Faith's version of a Zemecki's What Lies Beneath movie, a new contained story created entirely in a short span while on hiatus from another project. In this case, that's boom. This fiction podcast received a lot of attention from various press outlets, usually highlighting the novelty of a black protagonist-focused romantic comedy. I discuss this phenomenon and its implications with Faith, as well as the integral role that storytelling takes when managing love and trauma, love and food, and ride-or-die friendships. If instead you're looking for insight into what it's like to create an audio piece on short notice, Faith talks about her casting directing, and backstage process in making the romance of margaritas and donuts real. Please be aware that the following interview contains talk of racism in entertainment and the media industry and discussion of relationship trauma. Thank you so much for for coming on the show, Faith. We're really excited to talk to you about margaritas and donuts here on RDR. I'm excited to be back again. It's been a while. Yes, it has. Last time you were here, you talked about Boom with, with David. Yes. Um, and now we're going to talk about something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> so completely different. <laughs> um, so so let's let's do a bit of um, background work first. Right. So your artistic work started in film before moving into creating audio with Boom. Um, I'm curious as to what the differences are in your love for the two mediums. What? What makes them great and what makes a story work beautifully in one and not the other for you? Okay, well, um, film has been my thing since I was probably 12. Um, I always wanted to be a writer and probably around 11 or 12 years old, I was like, hey, people write movies. That's cool. I want to do that. Uh, so I, I got into that and that was pretty much my life goal. Like everything I was doing in school and everything I was doing with hobbies was about becoming a filmmaker. I was a theater kid. I did all this stuff. Um, so went to school, started making movies, worked in the industry and realized about nine years into teaching a film that I wanted to make my own films again. And uh, making films is expensive <laughs> and I had huge <laughs> just, ideas. So no. I'm just like, okay, now we're maybe, maybe this audio drama thing can work. And I found that um, I really, really, really enjoyed telling stories audio only. And I think it was because I had to admit to myself that my weakest link or 
I guess, weakest trait in filmmaking are the visuals. I love visual storytelling and I think it's beautiful to talk about um, framing a shot and using colors and all that, but I've never been great at it. And I always felt like I was better at character development, working with actors and writing, and I get to do all of that with audio and I don't have to worry about <laughs> um, the color <laughs> concepts and framing a shot and doing all of that. So I think in saying that that's the thing that I don't miss so much is probably what separates the two mediums for me. Um, media to media for me, whichever. Um, trying to tell a visual story in audio is really hard. Like you just, you, you have to do dialogue. You have to explain it. You have to do this whole thing. You can't, one of the first short films I did when I got back into it with Observer Pictures was an experimental film which was a poem and it was all like, it was five people in five different locations and with five different looks, that's not going to work in audio. No. Like, it'll just be like, Hey, those are different voices. And you had some birds back there and this other one, you know, so, that's it was nice, like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so having that kind of visual storytelling is great. But when I want to dig into characters and I want people to really be involved in who these humans are and the world they live in, I feel like for me, it's easier to tell it through audio only. That long winded question. I mean, answer, hopefully answered what you were looking for. <laughs> So um, you produced uh, Boom and Margaritas and Donuts and also these, um, your visual work through Observer Pictures. And mm -hmm. Amanda Lorraine runs Observer Pictures with you. So what's the process of running this company together? I know a lot of people have interest in how running an independent artistic company works. So tell me how it works for you and Amanda. Okay. Well, I can start with... I. Um, since we were talking about the teaching thing, Amanda was one of my students. Oh, um, yeah. I taught her for four years. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so she had started working, um, getting interested in producing when she was in film school. And so anytime that I had an outside project, I was like, Hey, do you want to come and do be my unit production manager? Do you want to come and be my nice. AD? Do you want to come and do this thing? So that all started with trying to get her you know, behind the camera and doing this whole thing and seeing how it works. And then we started to work really well together. So it's like, hey, um, I'm starting this thing. You don't want to do it with me because you're really good at this producing thing. And we worked well together. So that's how it all started was me just going, hey, I need a producing <laughs> partner. Come on over. Um, plus, she's really good at organizing things. And my brain used to be good at that but it is not anymore and um she she's usually the person who can rein me in so if we're like oh i have a project idea let's talk about it and we can like bounce it off of each other and she can say hey what about this and what about this so i'll come to her with like 500 ideas and then she can like narrow it down and be like here's the one here's the one we're gonna work on and let's talk about it so she can usually rein in the ideas and she's amazing with scheduling and getting people together and making sure that we can record because with boom we did most of it in person in a studio and that's like 17 18 people's schedules to 
coordinate over the course of like three days. And I was like, no, I'm going to lose my mind if I have to do that. She also lost her mind, but (laughs) she made it happen. So that's really what it is. It's like we're both creatives. That's never stopped. But when we're in the process of a project, it's me working on the writing and the character development and it's her helping me bring it to other people so it like makes sense once you hear it so like the polishing of it and making sure that we get the schedules worked out so she's not completely the business side she does help with the creative side and she's a huge cheerleader and a big fangirl when it comes to the projects we do. She's like, I love this and I love this. And oh my God, and Josephine and Malik are going to get together, right? Because you're going to do that, right? <laughs> and it always feels good when she's like, after she reads scripts and she comes back with this whole like fangirl mentality. It's it's the best feeling to have that kind of cheerleader on your side and work with you all the time. Yeah, highly recommend having a cheerleader working with, with you um, on your projects. Uh, yes definitely a a valuable person to have on a team um especially since it helps you remember oh right i was excited about this before i spent like a bajillion hours trying to make all of this work together right and which is exactly what i need because her head isn't in the stuff 100 percent of the time like mine is so she's like excited about it but you know excited over there and it helps a lot that's good (laughs) Um, so margaritas and donuts uh, has been talked a lot about in the press for its genuine though in some in some senses unfortunate novelty as a rom-com featuring two black professionals over 40 so tell me a little bit about your thoughts on the audience and press approaches to your work and what you want people to also remember uh, when they're listening I think it's wonderful that people are recognizing the celebration of black love, especially older people who aren't new to love. And like you said, it's unfortunate that there aren't more of those in any medium, not just in podcasting definitely does not exist as much in film and TV as it needs to. Yeah. Um, So I love that idea, but I also, and I say this with a whole lot of other, um, black shows is that I wish it wasn't a black show. (laughs) I wish it was just look at this amazing romantic comedy and yay, it happens to star a mostly black cast. Like that shouldn't be the lead in. Mm -hmm. And two major um, articles that have been written about margaritas and donuts. One was by a, black writer and one was by a not black writer i'm not sure race-wise but not black um and the not black writer was very much about look at this black show look at these black characters look at this and this and this and then talked about the story of it while the black writer was talking about josephine is this and and it's so wonderful that we're seeing a story about black people like it was not as much as an afterthought but it wasn't the purpose of the story, because that was never my purpose of the mm-hmm. story. I wanted to tell a story about something that I knew. And my best friend is a black woman over 40. So why not <laughs> <laughs> tell this story? And I, I love that people are celebrating it. And I'm hoping that when people see it, 
they're like, oh, this can work and people are enjoying it. Let's make more of it. You know, so it's not just this is not a podcast for black people. It is a podcast about black people made for everybody because we can all relate to it in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, this is something that I've noticed in um, in a lot of press work, uh, both my own as well um, and and press work of people that I have worked with is this uh, focus primarily like starting a focus on the um, ethnicity or race of the creators or the cast or or what's like the diversity uh, um, <laughs> yeah for for whatever that word is worth um, and then talking about the content of um, of the show. Right. And this is across not just fiction, but also in nonfiction podcasting just across the board. Um, and uh, I think that we need to shake up the way that we talk about art. Um, yeah. <laughs> <you know. laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's that it's that idea of, like I said, you know, it's a black podcast or it's a mm-hmm. black film or it's a nobody walked into Avengers and called it. Oh, this is a white movie. I'm like, nobody <laughs> said that. Nobody nope. said that. If they did, they were saying it behind closed doors and very far away. And <laughs> probably shouldn't yeah. say it out loud. And but it's this probably idea not on the like, internet. Right. But it's this <laughs> idea that it's like, oh, we made this black movie. So only black people are going to go see it, which is just dumb. And <laughs> I'm just is like, this, no. Is this when we all look at Black Panther and the way that people talked about Black Panther? Uh, maybe just a little bit. And I totally, side story. I'm a huge Marvel fan. And when Black Panther came out, I was like, oh, I think we need to make a little pamphlet for all the black people who are going to finally see their first Marvel movie. And I was halfway joking, but also like, why weren't black people going to see Marvel movies in the first place? They're great. They're fun. Go see them. It's just like, I don't know. Media thinks black people don't watch things. I was like, we watch things. We watch things all the time. But you think it's like, oh, no, no, no. There has to be a person in it that looks like you for you to watch it and i was like now i would love for there to be more people who look like me in the thing but that is not going to stop me from watching it i I enjoyed the hell out of crazy rich asians yeah valid yeah that's that's a fun film um yeah every time i think about about this approach to how people think about making art like especially in Hollywood, making art for the masses. Um, And uh, I think about there's this um, in sociology um, and social psychology, I guess, there's this effect called symbolic annihilation when used to describe like the absence of someone's representation. Right. It um, it helps. It's the effect of like promoting stereotypes and denying the existence of, of specific identities in society um, and, and disregarding the, like the legitimacy of an identity. And I feel like, um, okay. So when we're talking about um, representation in the press and the way that we um, in critical media analysis, talk about work and we discuss um, representation and underrepresentation. I think that we kind of ignore uh, this concept of symbolic annihilation a lot. 
um, which is a term in sociology that describes the effect of not seeing representation of yourself in the media that you consume. Um, and it's, it's a way to maintain like social inequality and denial of like a legitimate identity. Right. Um, and I think that now that we are, um, more in a, in a state of like talking about now that diversity has become a buzzword, (laughs) (laughs) that's the truth. Let me, let me just say it like the way that it it, like popped into my head. Now that diversity has become a buzzword, all people want to focus on is the representation and not the fact that, hey, maybe your story just, maybe you should just talk about the story and it'll come out when you analyze the story. Like, instead of just, like, there's more here than just this. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, like, a very exhausting, um, sort of, like, Ouroboros, like, eating your own tail kind of thing. Like, oh, we're trying mm-hmm. to be better, but we're going to end up doing the same things because all we do is replicate toxic behaviors. I have... Okay, I have to look it up so that I do not misquote. Um, One of the first reviews, let's see if I can see them all. One of the first reviews I got for Margaritas and Donuts. Here we go. This podcast has been a pleasant surprise to me already. It has strong female leads while also not walking all over masculine characters. Instead, it seems to celebrate the qualities of good men while letting women be on equal footing. Another treat was the diversity in the casting. It was like the final thing that was said. And I was like, this is my favorite review. (laughs) It was just like this idea of like, you were talking about what rom-coms have a problem with. Yes. Strong female leads who are strong by stepping all over the male characters in it. And that was like, not my point. I wanted these people to be on equal footing. They just so happened to both be black. And it's just, I've always tried to write stories that way where I was like, I want to see myself in media. That's why I'm writing these stories. I want to see that. But it's also not completely my world. I know people from all backgrounds and all different ethnicities and countries. And I I have friends in like, you know, eight different countries. So it's like, I'm not going to just write about everyone who looks like me because it isn't my my truth. Mm-hmm. I got to write mm-hmm. my truth. And that's what happens. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the other things that you talked about, right, was the fact um, about your best friend. And so what a lot of people probably don't know or assume is that you are um, Josephine when, in fact, you're Kat. Yes. Right. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit. Tell me about your, your best friend and, and writing this, using this to, like, inform the way that you wrote Josephine and Kat. Okay. Uh, well, Joy, who I talk about, she's in the credits. So when you when you hear the whole like inspired by her, I don't remember how I put her in the credits. I think story consultant or something. But it's it's Joy, and we have been best friends since we were eleven. So we're thirty thirty one years into our friendship, and we are ride or die. And that's how I wanted to write Josephine and Cat for it to just be, no matter what. No matter what happens, if we haven't talked in like two years or if we haven't seen each other or we talking every day, because that's the relationship that Joy and I have had, where it's not not because we didn't want to talk to each other, just haven't talked. Um, I wanted it to be this thing where it's like, I always know I can count on you. So I wanted to write the story of these friends 
who are in different spots in their lives, but still completely support each other. And it's not like, oh, I will tell you all the wonderful things you want to hear all the time so that you feel good about yourself. No, it's like, did you come here to hear the things you need to hear? Or am I just sitting here to listen? And that's, I know that there's a scene in there between Kat and, and Joe who, when that happens and that is real life joy and i have been like joy's like i have things to talk about i'm like okay am i am i going to jail for you or are we just talking (laughs) (laughs) it's like what's happening right now so it's a whole lot of it's super realistic we pro we i amped it up a little bit so that we could get more humor out of it but it's not Mm -hmm. amped up that much joy and i are a little weird (laughs) and a little silly (laughs) And hey, I happen to have twin girls and my twin girls happen to voice the twin girls that are in the show. So they even slipped up a little bit every time they were supposed to say Auntie Joe. They said Auntie Joy instead. So we had to go back and correct that a few times. That's adorable. <laughs> That's really cute. But yeah, she she was a huge inspiration. She even laughed. She's like, you know, everybody's talking about your show and it's really mine. It's me. <laughs> I made this. <laughs> this has got my mark all over it. <laughs> She's like, it wouldn't happen without me. And I was like, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, when we're talking about, about you know, this, this ride or die best friendship, Kat's and, and yours, I assume, role in, in, in this rom-com can't be understated, right? Finding and maintaining healthy romantic relationships would not, I think, be possible without a real best friend who is there to help you with it. What do you think? Oh, very, very true. Yeah, because while the person who is your one, like with Josephine and Malik, you also have to have a person that you can talk to about that person. Like, you know, like you can't just have this be the only solid relationship in your life you need other relationships in your life to like help you stay grounded and i wanted to explore that yeah absolutely one of the things that with my ride or die best friends um that i talk to about her when she's um dating and stuff um is if the man has no friends run If the person that you are thinking about dating does not have friends, red flag. (laughs) 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 And like, this has been like a very valuable advice for myself also. (laughs) I was dating just like, you know, if if they don't maintain any close friendships, maybe investigate that because I think that that has like an effect on everyone. Right. Not just men. It has an effect on everyone. Um, and so I think that that's, yeah, I think it's very valuable to, to remember that you need more than one thing in your life. That's a solid relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of solid relationships and trauma, I guess, um, (laughs) Um, it can't be a faith story without a little trauma, without a little trauma. It's true. Um, it's always there. Every time Josephine started looking for a reason to not trust Malik and every time she like ran away from him, I was just like, no, don't let the trauma win. (laughs) Um, But of course, that's not how trauma and fear works. (laughs) It's not how it works. Um, 
So so what is it about dating while you're still grappling with leftover paranoia um, and other uh, side effects, let's say, from past relationships that's that's difficult but important to understand about the reality? I think it's this um, idea that people don't forget their past. Like I want to, you know, people, there are plenty of people who try really yeah. hard to be like, Mood. all of this stuff, like I just, you know, we're just going to put it in a little ball and stick it in a closet. Nobody's ever going to look at it again, but it just doesn't work that way. And I wanted Josephine not only to be this person who completely made judgments on new relationships based on this very bad one she had, but also have this like dual weirdness going on in her head where she knows that that's what she's doing. Like she knows it. She knows that every single time that she walks away from Malik, that this is why I'm doing it, but she can't stop herself from doing it. And I wanted to be like, look, this happens to other people too. There are people who know that they are going down the wrong path, know fully well that they are going down the wrong path, but cannot stop themselves from doing it. And no matter who says it to them, stop doing it. They have to realize it. And it took that whole, you know, the whole not going to spoil anything, but took, you know, her some time to work it out in her own head, even if other people were saying, it's okay. It's, it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> she could be like, I know it's going to be fine, but is it going to be fine? And is it? Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, mood. Um, when you described putting the bowl in a closet, I was just kind of like, mm, yes, the box. We all know the box. <laughs> yep. You put that ball in the box, you tape well, up the box, you put box. it in the closet, and you never look at it again. Mail it to yourself and then smash it with a hammer. No, wait. That's that's Emperor's New Group. That's what you do with your enemies. Okay. Um. <laughs> Solid movie reference. Solid. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely one of my favorite movie references to make. Um <laughs> So, so margaritas and donuts is absolutely replete with amazing food references, right? Like, I'm hungry just thinking about it. Um, sour cream donuts, grilled salmon with cauliflower au gratin, and more as people continue listening. I just wanted to eat constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, tell me about your thoughts on the relationship between food and love, like romantic or, or not, right? Um, well, this again, stealing from life for this, but my husband and I um, talk about that we, everything we do together that, that we enjoy is usually around food. <laughs> <laughs> we love like trying new restaurants and talking about this meal and like being experimental when we, when we travel and not eating at, you know, run of the mill places, trying to find that uh, place that the local people like or, um, you know doing dangerous things in new orleans like going down back alleys and trying this restaurant that is, has no <laughs> has no sign but hey it smelled really good so why not why not we did this we did the same thing when we were in the bahamas just like hey what's this side street is there a good place here i was like we are going to die because we want to try new food this is just this is a mistake <laughs> but it will be delicious it will be amazing <laughs> so i i still wanted to i wanted to stay with this idea of like enjoying a good meal with someone you enjoy being with is something that i always think is good like I don't understand people who just eat for sustenance. Like, I don't get you. Like, I get it fine. <laughs> like, you don't care what you put in your mouth. That's weird. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Everything should be about enjoying it and enjoying good food, 
is even better when you're enjoying it with somebody that you love, whether it's a friend or a spouse or, you know, a significant other, whatever it is. I completely agree. I completely agree. Radio Drama Revival has been showcasing fiction podcasts and elevating the voices of their creators for 13 years. If you've enjoyed this show, if it's helped you or healed you, or done the unforgivable and increased your episode queue, there are a couple of ways to support our continued existence. First, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. We have a special Discord server for all our patrons, where we organize monthly meetups with listening parties, silly and informative PowerPoint presentations on podcasting, and more. Second, we're pleased to announce the creation of the Ticker Tapes, where for a small fee, you can share a message with the rest of Radio Drama Revival's audience. I'll read the messages, and they can be a birthday card, a quick podcast advert, a casting announcement. Whatever you have that needs an audience like this one. You can learn more at radiodramarevival.com slash ticker tape. I have um I have a very um I have a very wonderful relationship with with food and the idea of food and and I'm very curious about what you think about the relationship between food and storytelling um especially like oral familial storytelling. Oh my gosh. Um again any good story that I can think of from my childhood if my grandmother or um, my grandparents, my cousins, my aunts and uncles was over a meal. Thanksgiving was the best holiday because it was my entire family loud as all get up, just talking and sharing stories and doing this thing. And we're all, you know, passing food around. We totally look like a movie because we all <laughs> sit at like, you know, giant table and just <laughs> talking constantly and food is everywhere. And people are laughing and it's just one of my favorite favorite memories growing up is the idea of thanksgiving being this huge thing where we all get together and we all get to talk and it's like we saw each other yesterday even if it's been a year and yes i don't i just have always equated food and stories and family and love they all are just equal in my head mm-hmm. yeah no big same people, yeah people yeah. love telling a good story over a good meal it's true. Like that's um, in in Spanish we have this term um, that doesn't exist in English. It's called sobremesa, and it it specifically refers to the conversation that happens between people after they have had a meal together, like over the table, when you're still oh, sitting wow. at the table. Yeah. 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 And so that's this concept about food and storytelling is something that is also very strong in in my family and in in my culture. Um, right in my communities. Uh, you made a special bonus episode about Malik and Josephine during the pandemic. Um, without spoiling that episode, tell me a little about what you think romantic relationships budding or established can do to keep love uh, vibrant and healthy as we enter, I'm going to make time real, a year into the pandemic. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Um, Sorry to everyone who thought it was still October. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If you are um, quarantining with your significant other, uh, space is absolutely important because <laughs> um, there's just so much time that you can spend with that person you love before you are like, do I still love you as much as I did before? 
Yeah. Was this and a mistake? Like you, just, you just need to carve. And it's not just like physical space, but like temporal space. Like <laughs> this is my time. This is going to be me. Even if we're sitting, which I'm totally not talking from experience at all. Even if we're yeah. sitting on the couch together, I have headphones on. He has headphones on. This is our time. <laughs> even though I'm like, I'm in the same space with you. Maybe I have my feet in your lap, but we're just have it our separate time. And it's just extremely important to find time for yourself so that you can enjoy the time you have with that person more. Mm -hmm. And I assume that if you're not together, which is not going to be a huge spoil, but Malik and Josephine are not quarantining mm -hmm. together to make sure that you find a way to connect so that you don't forget each other. <laughs> Because, yeah. I mean, time does make the heart grow fonder, but too much time. And then you're just kind of like, what? Yeah, it's like, doing? what are we doing? Uh, do I? I don't remember anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one, one of our patrons, uh, Jeff, wants to know um, how Nashville has influenced your podcasts. Right. In, in Margaritas and Donuts, we can hear how important Nashville is to Josephine since she's from there. Um, and the reactions to which I understand because it's the same in Portland because, quote, people are never from Portland. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for me, because I grew up here, um, it's it's familiar to me, not only just where things are, even though I made up a few places, but where things are, it's how it sounds. So I knew when Malik and Joe go on their dates or when she and Kat are doing things or when everybody, I, I know what those neighborhoods sound like. I know what the streets sound like. So it's this idea of being able to build a very realistic soundscape because I know what it sounds like. And Josh, my sound designer, who has now moved away, he's no longer here, but he was in Nashville too. So he also knew what these areas sounded like. So it, it made it comfortable for us to be able to create this. And I could say, hey, we're doing the there's restaurants in the Gulch or they're going to be downtown or they're going to be here. So it's like, oh, I know what kind of sounds to build around that because we both knew what downtown Nashville sounds like or what the Gulch sounds like or, you know, different areas of Nashville. So it's fun to do that uh -huh. because I still even in the audio world, I still think visually. Uh -huh. So when I'm building things, I'm thinking of. What part of Nashville would this be in? What part of the city? Where do they live? How long does it take them to get there? I still think about all of those details. And it's easier if it's in a place that I know. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> like I'm not going to put it in New York. I've been in New York once. I was like eight. I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> it's like, like I remember. <laughs> Um, I think that we can we can hear that work, right? The fact that that you are working in a space that you know, that your sound designer is working in a space that he knows, um, and and I think that it's really crucial for for audio to be able to like audio storytelling to understand that you're not just communicating a story; you need to also be communicating a place um, and the sound of a place, even if that place is fictitious, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I think that that's there's a podcast called um, Explore, and it's it's got it's got parentheses around one part of it, but it's it's a podcast that's set in in Calgary in Canada, um, and each 
each episode is written by a different person about a specific location in um in Calgary. Um and uh you can actually like take this podcast and go on a tour of those places because of how accurately they oh, have like cool. pinpointed like the soundscape of the place. The sound of the That's place really and like cool. the story of the place. Like you can see it happening. Like in some of them you can even like track like the person who's speaking, because I think most of them are monologues. You can actually track the person who's speaking, like where they're moving in the in the space that they're in. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really, really cool. Um, I wanna go there. <laughs> Someday. Vaccines. Um, <laughs> um so yeah, just I all I, get little hamster balls. Yeah, exactly. Just, just like around. roll around in our little bubbles. Yes, like physical ones. Um <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate that the dedication that I can clearly hear in in your work about Nashville and and the sound of Nashville. Cause yeah, the sound of when they like end up in, in a restaurant, right? It doesn't it sounds like its own restaurant. It sounds yeah. like it's like it doesn't sound like if I were to compare the sounds of restaurants from like a couple of different podcasts, they wouldn't have the same sound. Um, and I think that's really yeah. important. Also, didn't you like make a logo for? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the fork and feather um, came out of a joke. Uh, there was a bingo card a few years back um, of uh, which ones of these restaurants are real <laughs> and which ones are just words put together. Um, that's a totally a thing in Nashville, by the way. I uh, And now I'm going to look it up because it's hilarious and I need to share some of the... Um, some of the options on the bingo card. Right. Extremely good. But one of the words, one of the words just put together (laughs) was fork and feather. And I was like, that is honestly the perfect name for a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it would be in the Gulch. If you guys are from Nashville and know the Gulch, then you are totally laughing with me. It'd either be in the Gulch or 12th South. Mm -hmm. I've decided it's one of those. (laughs) Um, But here are some. I'm going to I'm going to name like three. Mm -hmm. Two of them are real. Oh, okay. Okay, so Rolf and Daughters. Butcher and Bee, Little Octopus. Oh, actually, all three of those are real. Sorry. Okay, I was about to say, like, wait. <laughs> um, but, like, Holler and Dash is a restaurant here. Milk and Honey is not. Uh, <laughs> Modest Donkey, not. Modest Donkey. Man, that's a, that's a name. There you go. Oh, but, yeah. That's but very like, funny. You know. Milk and Honey. I would go to a restaurant called Milk and Honey. I, I would totally go to a restaurant called Milk and Honey. Yeah. Um, but like, or yeah, Fork and Feather was on this list. Holler <laughs> and Dash is a great restaurant. So if you guys ever happen to be around here and you want to go to Holler and Dash, it's really good. So it's a little <laughs> octopus. Um, <laughs> but, but, it, but I was like, oh, this is hilarious. We should do this. And when I have writer's block, I tend to get artistic. Um, this is how... The covers for the podcast happen. I usually make them when I can't write anymore. I'll do that. So what happened this time is that I happened to make a logo for Fork and Feather, like a full on. <laughs> it was established in 2018, 19, whenever the show came out. And I made a sign. If you're a Patreon member, you have um, access to tote bags that are Fork and Feather tote bags. <laughs> 
<laughs> Gotta get the whole thing. <laughs> and I've had random people ask me, they're like, where is Fork and Feather in Nashville? And I was like, it oh. doesn't exist, but I'm so excited that you think it does. <laughs> that you think it's an actual restaurant. And you think you're bad you at marketing. <laughs> I always thought about how amazing it would be if we could do like a pop up. Like I have a friend who's a chef here in Nashville, and I was like, I could call him and be like, "So what? What do you think would be on the menu?" <laughs> you have to do the steak tartare because we already talked about it. We talked episode. about it in an episode. You got to do the steak tartare because I guess like the roast hen. Um. Yeah, <laughs> it's like both of those things have to happen. <laughs> Oh, God, margaritas and donuts pop-up restaurant. All right. <laughs> we serve neither margaritas so or donuts. Serve right. <laughs> steak tartare and roast <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a sour cream and sour, sour cream, cream donut. donut yes. <laughs> and now I'm hungry. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Now you suffer. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, in previous interviews, you've called margaritas and donuts your uh, what lies beneath. Um, so for those who don't know, Robert Zemecki made the movie What Lies Beneath with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer on a hiatus break during making Castaway. Um, so tell me about your what lies beneath. What led you to making this while on hiatus from Boom? And how did that process of making it on hiatus work if it worked any differently? Um, it worked completely differently from making Boom. There was a lot of planning in Boom. I um, We had casting processes. I had a whole schedule of outlining the scripts and writing them and doing all of this stuff. And Margaritas and Donuts was, um, hey, I have this short film script that uh, the contest people didn't like. They said it was too short. And uh, shall we make it into a series? Sure, let's do it. And um, just... <laughs> asking people if they wanted to be a part of it and just going, okay, yeah, you have this part, you have this part, you have this part, you have this part. And, you know, not doing everything was seat of the pants, which is not how I work in any way whatsoever, but it was, it was fun. And it all just happened very quickly. Like we just got into it. In fact, Amanda was like, wait, what, what are you doing? Like I was already, <laughs> I already found the cast and she's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> what are we doing? Faith smote the ground and up popped margaritas and donuts. Fully cast and on the podcast feed. Um. And yeah, so it was all it was all just seat in my pants doing this thing and like just going, okay, here, here are the episodes. Let's record it. Let's make it happen. And we just did it. And mostly because I needed to finish it before Boom picked back up. And the reason that we were on such a long hiatus was babies. Mm, um, babies, yes. Garrett, Garrett Delosier had a new baby, um, as did um, Melinda. She had a new baby. So I'm like, my two leads yeah. both had babies. <laughs> so I'm like, guys, children, really? <laughs> now? So I wasn't sure how long before we would be able to get back up, but I didn't want to be in the middle of another podcast while we were trying to work on this one. So I was like, make it happen as fast as possible so we can get it out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty oh sure God. all six for episodes a moment, happened I thought, before Boom. I thought for a moment that you were like, make children happen as fast as possible. <laughs> And I was just like, Faith, you know that children grow at a prescribed. Oh, she's talking about margaritas and donuts, not not children like, I'm talking growing. About my creative child, my creative child. 
<laughs> not, 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 not like growing actual. human children, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. And I'm, I'm like, I never thought it would be more than just this little project I got to do. And I'm so excited and always completely taken aback when people are like, I loved it. It's so good. And I want more. And I was like, I had no plans for more. This was it. This was the thing. This is it. This is the whole thing. Here, here's a special oh. episode as like a consolation prize. Right, right. Uh, and that's, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the only reason the special episode happened, let's just thank Tavius Marshall, who does the voice of Malik. Oh. He was pushing. He was like, we need to do another one. We need to do another one. I was like, I don't have another story. He's like, well, I do. Huh? I was like, OK, then write it. <laughs> so he wrote it. And um, yeah, then I came in and uh, like was like, oh, OK, maybe the characters would do this and do this and do this. But that's yeah. Our bonus episode is basically his script. And yeah, so it's. He made it happen. That's wonderful. So if you guys want another episode. Yeah. <laughs> go, talk, go talk to Tavius. Go talk to Tavius. <laughs> and he will make it happen. Also hire Tavius. Jesus. Such a good script. Yeah. Um, so since we're talking about the process of making this, another one of our patrons, Katie, wants to know what your process is when, what your process uh, was. Uh, tense. Let me try that again. Since we're talking about the process of making this, our Patreon, our patron Katie wants to know what your process is when directing um, pre-romance flirting versus um, established romance. Okay, so little tidbit, um, Danny and Tavius were never recording together. Uh, they recorded separately, so they didn't have to have the awkwardness of doing awkward scenes with someone you have never met. Um, but I did want them to lean into the awkward. So when we were doing, so all of the stuff, the meet cute and the first date were supposed to be as awkward as possible. <laughs> I was pushing the, it's okay to trip over your words. It's okay for it to be like weird, nervous laughing and do all of this stuff. And I wanted them to push into that. But then once they're established in their relationship. I wanted it to be more of a act like you're talking to this person that you've known for years, that it should be that familiar already, that you're that comfortable with each other. So think of it as they're both married. So I'm like, just act like you're talking to your significant other. Nice. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's awful. And I feel like they, they rolled with it. And I think they both did awkward quite well. Oh, they did. They, they truly did. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then when it gets a little more comfortable, you can, I, I feel like you can hear the shift in the dialogue. And I'm still like, again, baffled at the idea of doing fully remote and trying to get them to match energy within a scene was a lot of fun and a bit of a challenge, but fun. Just the same. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to take us back to, to something that we talked about earlier in this conversation, which is the concept of black joy. Um, so black black joy is something that we still see so a little of in fiction across across mediums, especially in particular for women and and queer um, black folks, right? Um, there's just a lot of well, there's a black person now, so I guess it's time for trauma. Um, so what's what's the importance of black joy that you think a general non-black audience would not understand? 
um, black people have experienced a lot of trauma. Uh, again, why I have to do this, I'm doing it anyway. It's me saying that black people have experienced a lot of trauma is not to try to denounce anyone else's group of people experiencing trauma. That's just not what's happening in this conversation. Nope. But Very annoying that we, we have, have also, to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, but we have also found a way to always have joy. I mean, uh, during slave times, there are songs of freedom and gospel music and um, frying chicken. <laughs> the idea of like trying to make the scraps that you had to that you were given into something worth eating. It's like you always have to find the joy in a situation or you die. Maybe not physically die, but die inside. And you're just this hollow shell of yourself. If you cannot find joy, someone else is not going to bring you the joy. You have to bring it to yourself. So I always wanted to explore this idea of finding your own peace, finding your own joy and telling stories that were celebrating that. And it isn't, you know, birds singing, me skipping down the road joy. It was supposed to be real life <laughs> happiness that is kind of messy. And that was the idea is that Josephine had to work towards that joy, towards finding her happiness, because she had a messy life to begin with. Mm -hmm. And she had to get there. Uh, trauma with a capital T is how black stories go. And again, I have to talk about being in the film world and especially awards season. We can go back over the multiple, multiple years of black people winning awards. Denzel Washington won for Glory. Mm -hmm. um, Halle Berry won for Monsters Ball. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't even like for the love of me think of like other things but it's never been the black person winning an award for the quirky girl next door no. like you know or it's not that it's always some epic traumatic overly dramatic story mm -hmm. for like oh my god this is the film that brought you out and I was like yeah but we also have little stories that we can tell that people can just be happy and yeah. have like like <laughs> sylvie's love on yes. amazon if you seen that movie go watch that movie go watch and it if you love sylvie's love um go find nothing but a man that came out in the 60s which is also a beautiful glorious movie about black relationships there is trauma in it but it's more about the person you are with saving you Aww. so yeah nothing but a man watch that one second but yeah it is incredibly important to the black community to always find the happiness in the sorrow so that we can survive another generation and have i don't know just be abundant in our creativity and lives in general thank you for sharing that thank you um, and definitely go watch Sylvie's Love if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I have not yet seen Nothing But a Man, but I will. Um, yes. At, um, at the Audiocraft uh, Podcast Festival last year, Renee Richardson gave a talk that has literally burrowed into me and refuses to leave. Um, and I will keep bringing it up 
on this show. Uh, alas, for all of my future interviewees. Um, so she talked about moving away from the words risk and risky when it comes to um, which are often associated with giving opportunities to BIPOC creators, right? To, to Black and Indigenous and, and other creators of color. Um, I would like to know what you want this industry's relationship with the idea of risk to look like. Risk shouldn't be in who the race or ethnic background or sexual orientation of the person who is creating it. That's not the issue and that should never be, that should never be part of it. Um, the risk should be in the actual story in, we haven't heard this story before. Mm -hmm. um, not, I guess not who the people are in this story, but what the story is itself should be the risk, not, um, Oh, hey, we, like I said, like, you know, the coming of age story we've seen a million mm -hmm. times and now it's with a black audience. That's not risky. No, nope. it's not risky. It's still a coming of age story. We're still seeing that same story. Um, <laughs> in film school, there is a term that uh, we talk about <laughs> that I hate. Uh, oh boy, here we go. Crossover, the crossover star. Um, it's the idea of someone who is not white being able to lead a movie for majority white audiences. Um, so Denzel Washington, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, um, Martin Lawrence, Will Smith, Halle Berry. Um, it's a short list. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very long list. Um, <laughs> not gonna lie. No, yeah. Uh, Jackie Chan right. probably fits into it. It's this idea of these people who are not white, who can get white audiences in the seats, basically. Um, and it's not really a term that most people know, but it is talked about in marketing situations mm -hmm. of this idea of like, we we cast this person because it's like, hey, look, we have a person of color in our, in our movie and our whatever, because we also know that they will get people in the seats. And it's like, Ew. Yep. Stop it. That's, uh, <laughs> but, that's gross. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it's also like, is it still a risk for you to also cast other black people around them? Because, hi, everybody. Think about it real quick. The Denzel Washington's early work. How many other black people were in the movie besides him? None. The answer is none. <laughs> <laughs> just in just in case anyone didn't know the answer to that question <laughs> it wasn't very often will smith the same way like early will smith movies i mean way early if we're going way back to um his first stuff yeah he's the only black kid and it's the trauma kid if you haven't watched some of his earlier works like where the day takes you which is an amazing movie but so watch that um uh, but yeah, yep. <laughs> it's like we just need that one black person or the one not white person. Um, since I included Dwayne Johnson in that and he is not black. Oh. <laughs> but still this <laughs> idea of like, <laughs> these are the, the people who can get audiences in the theaters, but we can be cool and be woke. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, God. Well, let me sound as old as possible by saying be woke. Be woke. Oh, um, God. <laughs> by having a non-white star. I don't know. Absolutely. Also, I to say, I'm just so angry at how, like, the words diversity and, and woke have just been overused by white people to the point where it it just no longer means anything. <laughs> right. Right. Like, stop. Stop it. Um, stop. So if, if you in the audience want to hear more um, prior uh, responses about the word risk that we've had on the show. So I, I asked this question. I asked a question about risk to James Kim about Moonface. And I also asked a question about risk um, with uh, Ivoma Okoro about Vega. So you can go back and listen to those. Uh, interviews to hear more thoughts uh, on this word and approach in our industry. Um, so I have only one final question for you. No, that's not true. I've got two final questions. <laughs> All right. I was like, wait a second. No. <laughs> um, let's do right. So I've got a, a, a fun, a fun, cute question for you. So I know that you're a baker. Um, so what is your favorite baked good to make? Um, pie. Yes. Always pie. Cake is gross. Um, sorry, everyone. <laughs> no, my boyfriend agrees. <laughs> uh, but I love pie. And um, around Thanksgiving and Christmas, I always make a crayon mm. apple pie. And my summer pie is peach blueberry. So those are my two like go-to pies. Crayon apple and peach blueberry. And in fact, here's a weird thing. Um, the the studio that we use to record Boom and where we will go record again if we get to record in person <laughs> called Pod, Pod Studio One. Um, Carl, who owns it, uh, wants me to pay him. Oh, amazing. Uh, that is, <laughs> every time I say how much is this going to cost, he's like, two apple pies. It's two apple pies. Two apple pies. And I was like, okay. Amazing. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> if we have to do a whole weekend, I make like an entire like pan of pies. So I show up with like, oh, like a dozen mini pies and then one big pie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Baking queen over here. It's incredible. It's a weird, it's a weird thing, but I love him for it because it does help us out. It does. I'm very glad. Um, that's a really wonderful way to... Uh, barter your skills there very nice um yeah i uh to just describe to you how difficult it is in in a in a pandemic world where we like have get-togethers where dessert is involved my boyfriend hates cake and my best friend hates cooked fruit yeah oh. so i was just sort of oh. here like i guess i'm gonna make a pastry i don't know what do I do now? <laughs> Frick. <laughs> Cheesecake? Cheesecake. The answer is, is uh, the answer is actually generally tres leches. Um, yeah, oh, which for anyone. That is cake I can yeah. get behind. That's because, as my boyfriend says, it's basically not cake anymore. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's not aware. That is so true. It's <laughs> for so anyone true. who's not aware, it's a... Uh, um, it is a Puerto Rican uh, dessert, um, and it uh, involves it's a it's a yellow cake, um, yellow vanilla cake that has sat in three different kinds of milk overnight, sweetened condensed milk, evaporated, and well, depending on who you are, like whole milk or something else. Um, 
Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> it's so, so good. Oh, my gosh. Um, so finally, you have a new podcast dropping this year, Apollyon. Yes. Okay, good. Um, what can our audience expect from it? Tell us a little bit about the story, because this is a departure from your previous work. Yes, I'm uh, doing the thing I said I would never do. I'm doing sci-fi. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Told myself I would stay away from it because everyone does sci-fi. But guess now you're what? you're doing sci-fi. I'm a huge sci-fi <laughs> fan, so it happened. <laughs> I can't believe that you, a huge sci-fi fan, told yourself not to make a sci-fi show. <laughs> well, it's like the idea of like you never want to, you never want to um, meet right. your heroes. <laughs> I'm like, don't, don't write sci-fi. Don't do it. Don't do it. Ah, oh, crap! I'm doing it. I'm doing it twice, in fact, because I have. Oh my god! Also, but anyway, but this one. Um, takes place a hundred years in the future. Uh, sorry for uh, this is a right. um, current yeah, event trigger the... warning. Um, it's a, a virus that has wiped out seventy five percent of the population. Right. Um, and it's thirty years out from that virus. Happening. And when did you start writing this show? Um. So. Oh, actually. Like five yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's so. what I wondered. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. So <laughs> all the people who wrote about pandemics before 2020, those are the people who are at fault. Yes, that's how that works? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's completely and totally my fault. <laughs> but but yeah, so it's, it's like 30 years out from this horrendous pandemic and the main character is Theo Ramsey, and she is a virologist. And she and her partner, lab partner, Gabriel, have just dis- may have just discovered a vaccine for said virus. So that's where the story begins, is with the possible discovery of this vaccine. And uh, yeah, it's going to get a little twisty and turny, and I'm kind of excited about it. And we just <gasps> did our table read. Oh, man. And I loved hearing it out loud. I'm always like giddy when I finally get to hear things out loud. And my cast is absolutely amazing. I'm so excited about all of them. And I'm excited for all of you to hear every single one of them and this podcast that will come out S- soon. Soon. Probably. Soon. Sometime in wow. April. That, that is, is the plan. Okay. Sometime in April. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm looking forward to Apollyon (laughs) and um, everything that you're doing over there, because I think it's going to be amazing. And because, of course, it is faith, there is always going to be a little bit of trauma sprinkled in there. Uh, Just a little little, little little sprinkling. Chalky sprinkles. (laughs) (laughs) I just said that live on mic. All right. Nailed it. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Tell me. Oh, I do have a weird thing. Okay, sorry. No, this can totally... You don't have to keep this in the podcast if you don't want to. But weird fun fact. The um, face Mm -hmm. of Boom, the guy whose face Uh is on Boom, James David West, is playing a role in Amazing. Oh, my God. He's Gabriel. That's going to be very exciting for Boom listeners. (laughs) They're just going to be like, wait. I'll be like, you get to finally hear the guy. That's wonderful. The face now has a voice. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) 
Um, so thank you so much for coming on Radio Drama Revival uh, and talking with me, Faith. It was really, really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I always love conversations with you. If you liked what you heard, you can support Faith McQuinn and more of Observer Pictures work over at patreon.com slash observerpics. That's spelled P-I-X. Radio Drama Revival runs on futuristic, super-powered windmills and the people tilting at them. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of will. Hi. If you're listening when this episode is released, it has just become spring here in 2021. And I think that that is lovely. Uh, it, at least here in Phoenix, and now granted Phoenix is warmer than uh, most places like in the world ever, uh, but it's very lovely here right now. And uh, I think that it would be very nice to take a stroll. That is my recommendation this week. If you can't take a stroll for whatever reasons, or honestly, if you don't want to, that's fine. Um, but I think that it would be nice if you take some time and just appreciate the fact that we are in spring. I am recording this on the 24th of March, 2021, and there is, as always, a lot going on right now. But the start of spring is, I think, a nice sign. It is inevitable, of course, but things feel at least right now, perhaps a little bit more solid than they have, perhaps. You know, regardless, I think that if you have the capacity and the ability, it would be nice to just take a little walk, make sure you're staying safe, and think about something that you're grateful for. Think about what the start of spring might represent to you. That might be a little bit woo-woo, uh, but that's how I roll. So <laughs> I hope you take some time and I hope that you welcome spring. Um, and I hope that you have a nice day and a nice walk if you take one and a good time. And if you're listening and it's not spring, well, spring is going to come eventually. Uh, so that's pretty cool too. <laughs> okay, bye. That means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klitskani Indian tribe, the Cowlitz Indian tribe, and the Apfaladi tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. If you are looking for ways to support Native communities, you can donate to Nourish Our Nations Arizona an organization that provides essential food items to indigenous families from more than six tribal communities, including White Mountain, Navajo Nation, and Gila River. Their GoFundMe is www.gofundme.com f slash nourish dash our dash nations dash Arizona. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Kaz. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and associate audio editor is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Julian Schwager. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. 
Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouse and David Randstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>